On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no! She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. My name is Dimitri Vilpovich, and joining me is my good buddy Santiago Shah. Sat, what's going on? Man? What's going on, Dimitri? It's good. It's good. It's good to it's good to have you. Um, we're here drinking a. Uh, we're not even sponsored by Main Street Brewing, but we're having a, a Main Street Brewing brew here. We're recording this on Thursday evening. Yeah, uh, I'm sure all the days are kind of blending together for you this week with uh, everything that's going on with the Canucks. But yeah. I appreciate you taking the time to come chat. This is episode 420. Of the Hockeypedia cast. It's not going to be very nice, though, um, because we have to talk about Canucks again. Yeah, uh, we probably need uh, something for 420 to get us through a Canucks podcast, it seems. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> certainly. Um, so where to start with this team? I mean, mm. I'll, let me let me set the scene for those that haven't been paying close attention. So they're 5, 10, and 2 mm-hmm. start the year. They have a minus 16 goal differential. It's been punctuated by a recent three-game road trip where they got outscored 19 to 6. They have the... 28th ranked power play which aside from one game against the stars i believe where they had like three power play goals or something it's been pretty much non-existent they had one market correction game yep they have the 32nd ranked penalty kill which isn't only the worst penalty kill in the league this season but historically bad like i believe yeah giving up like almost 16 goals like per 60 or something like i that. went through some of the numbers it's the worst pk in the cap era okay so we got that <laughs> uh they have a 515 expected goal share of 46.1 percent which is 27th best mm-hmm. They have three regulation wins so far. One was against Seattle in Seattle's home opener, where I think it's fair to say they got outplayed and they kind of just yeah. stole it at the end, thanks to Connor Garland's heroics. And then two against the Stars and the Blackhawks, who are 32nd and 30th in regulation wins themselves. No team has spent a greater percentage of their games trailing so far than they have, which is amazing. They just passed the Coyotes. Coyotes held that for dear life, and they finally wrestled it away from them. So other than all that, it's been a smashing success so far. <laughs> so... We're, now that we set the scene here in terms of how bad it's been, where do you want to start this conversation? Because I, I really wanted to just have you on to kind of hash it out. I remember last year, yeah. uh, the two of us and, and our pal Harmon Dial got mm-hmm. together and we kind of did like a sort of state of the union. And it felt like, I think that was like a month into last season as yeah. well, right? And at that time, I remember everyone was panicking about what the Canucks were up to. Uh, it felt like their season was spiraling out of control. And we were pretty critical of the entire organization mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, I think we were ultimately pretty fair and balanced. Uh, you know, the overwhelming feedback I got from people, usually you get a lot of like, oh, don't speak poorly about my team. It was a lot of people in this market feeling like very cathartic. Right. That just to hear their frustrations voiced within the organization, uh, with the organization, voiced on a public platform. And, you know, now we flash forward, it's not even a full calendar year mm-hmm. later because that was in like February or something. Yeah. And we're just doing this all over again. And not much has changed. The yeah. only thing different about that podcast and this one is no harm. And we're doing this face to face. Right. And it's good to see you face to face. It's beautiful to right. get to do this. Obviously, <laughs> poor circumstances, but yeah. great to do this. No, absolutely. And, you know, it is a lot of the same. 
right? So I think where we do have to begin, I think is instructive because of everything that's happened from the very beginnings, especially for people that may not be up to speed with what, what's happened here. Jim Benning and Trevor Lennon took over so over seven years ago. And when they came in, the Sedins were still here. The remnants of that 2011 team stole parts here. So they decided to run it back and try to push for a year or two to maximize the Sedins' final couple of years. And the thing Jim and Trevor were very steadfast about was we can rebuild on the fly. We can be competitive and we can rebuild. And nobody forgets that after that first year they made the playoffs, a very proud Trevor Lennon said, this is very vindicating to us that our plan is coming to fruition. People have laughed at us, but this is what we want to do. Right. And ever since that year, it's been failure after failure. That first year, they said they're going to be a playoff team. They got 100 points. They got in. They hit their mark. Since then, they have not met expectations outside of the 2019-2020 season when they went through the whole bubble. The right. thing, though, is, Dimitri, and you know this, the plans changed numerous times. Yes. Right? It was, we're going to be patient, rebuild on the fly, and then... It was, hey, we feel like we're ready to win. You go on and sign JB, you go on Roussel to help out the young guys because we're close. Right. And then 2019, you go all in on that team. Now, last year, you take a step back. Now you're back into being all in again. So over these seven and a half years, there hasn't been a clear, coherent plan that they've been trying to execute. And that's why we're sitting here asking these hard questions about what are you trying to be and what truly is your plan? <sighs> You're glossing over a few steps along the oh, way. Oh, there's a lot. There. I think cold notes. Yes. What was the? I think it was that was, it was year one, right? There's mm -hmm. that that tweet that still gets passed around every once in a while, where I believe it was 2014, or, or and Jim Benning says we we believe we can turn this thing around pretty quickly, right? Quickly. And yes. Eight years later. Um, yeah. So at that very point in time when we did this podcast last year, the reason why we wanted to do a show at the time, I remember, was it felt like they were on the precipice of finally making some sort of meaningful change, mm -hmm. right? Like. There was oh, yeah. a lot of rumblings. It felt like they were like aware of how the league was speaking about them, and they were ready to kind of critically acknowledge where they stood in the NHL's hierarchy, right? And I'm not sure what you heard about then or if you reported or if you talked about it on your show, but from my conversations with people, it seemed like at that time Jim Benning was a bit of a lame duck GM in the sense that Zach Lenis had basically taken the car keys away from him and said, all right, no more no more shenanigans, like, let's just sit tight here. Right. And they didn't really want to, I guess, maybe deal with the process of firing them, hiring someone else, having two pe paying two people on the payroll to do mm -hmm. the one job. And so they kept them around. And instead of kind of seeing that through and then moving on, it felt like this offseason, for some reason, something changed where they felt like, all right, instead of making that change, let's instead stay in the same direction and keep pushing forward and kind of kick this can down the road even further like, is that, is that a fair read in terms of the situation? Yeah. Sort of what happened in, like, what bridges those two events? Well, you know, it's, it's really fascinating because I remember the conversations we had. And I remember from everything I had heard, I was like, I'd be surprised if we don't see a change by the end of the season. And I remember you're saying, like, I don't know. <laughs> every time we hear that, it doesn't happen. And this is the truth. People have been trying to get Jim Benny fired every month or every week for seven and a half years he's still standing so he finds a way to remain yes. right and there's a survival lesson there for people one way or another but i do think what happened last year was we covered some of the ground but i think ownership to some degree felt some sense of responsibility because they cut the taps off last year it was yeah. very evident right they went from because here's the thing jim was very very forceful in saying we have a plan to bring markstrom back Anna back and bring Tafoli back right we have a plan. We think we can do this. I believe that once they went to present this plan to ownership, ownership's like, yeah, no, we don't have the money for that. Right. Fine, if you want, 
the budget to make these moves? How about I get rid of some contracts that are pretty bad? Then we'll give you the budget. Now, that was pandemic-driven, economically-driven. Yep. So I do think, at to some degree, that last season, there was a sense from ownership that they were responsible. And as frustrated as they were, and as much as they wanted to blame Jim, I do think there was a sense of, okay, we really pulled the rug from under these guys. We felt pretty good about where the team was headed. Is it fair to this group to just get rid of them after we're the ones that were responsible for cutting the taps? But the thing is, it was so much worse than anybody thought. I don't think ownership ever anticipated that them you know, being a bit more cash conscious and them saying, hey, you have less to work with, that they would end up in the situation they were. They thought at least they'd be competitive. Right. So I think it ended up being far worse than they thought. And I do believe there was one point in time where they felt probably they had to move on from Jim. But I think they had a really hard time finding who comes in and who is credible that can come in and do the job and right. who can do the job, who doesn't want an extraordinary amount of money to deal with everything yeah, that goes I, around. I was going to say, being who, I, th- I think one of those big check marks that needs to be hit is who wants to take the job. Mm-hmm. And the ones who want to take the job, a lot of them, they'll do it for the right price. Right. So if you make me the highest paid GM or you make me one of the highest paid executives, perhaps I will endeavor to run your franchise. So I think they ran into some problems. And we do know, looking at the landscape with angel GM and candidates, it hasn't been the strongest, especially the last couple of years, at least when talking to people right. about who's an up-and-comer or who actually has a lot of credibility. So I think they had some issues with trying to f- line up who to take over. And I do think cash became an issue. You get rid of Jim, who I believe isn't getting paid a ton as far as GM goes. I wonder if there was a reduction after the <laughs> Jim's pandemic. Jim's actually paying them to, to stay on board. I mean, <laughs> it's like pay-as-you-go, yeah. right? So, so I do think... There's that consideration there as well with Jim. But I do think they were pretty close to making a change, and then something kind of happened. And the plan to bring the Sedins in, I do think it's earnest to some degree that down the road perhaps they can become executives. But I think it was about them buying themselves another year, that we don't really feel like paying more guys to not play for us. We're paying guys to not play for us. We're paying guys in buyouts. We're paying guys to not work for us anymore. How much longer can we keep doing this? Well, so... Jim had a uh, media availability today. I believe it was just Jeff Patterson that asked him um, something along the lines of paraphrasing, but like um, how much did the success in the bubble sort mm-hmm. of influence things or make you believe that like this group was was ready to compete or take that next step, right? And I think Jim kind of passed that question off, but I, it, it's very clear like it was the perfect storm, I think, of this protective cover for this group to basically run it back this yes. offseason where they're coming off that wildly successful run in the bubble the year before. It was a 56-game season last year with no one in the stands, mm-hmm. so there was no one really around to kind of vocalize their frustrations with what with the product. Yeah, uh, it was all jammed into a couple months, so it really flew by. It was like the perfect storm for yeah. like a shitty season, right? Mm-hmm. And they could kind of justify, like as you said, they cut off the taps. All right, we were kind of going through quote unquote financial hardships. Um, take that as you will. Relative to billionaires, <laughs> yes, of course, um, and. They kind of use that as an excuse to kind of hand wave everything. And then this offseason, they committed so much financially mm, to this mm-hmm. group, right? They bought out Holtby one year after signing him. It was the right move to do, but I mean, it's kind of funny. Like the optics of signing a goalie to a two-year deal and then buying him out after yeah. one year. Um, they extended Tanner Pearson before last year ended. They made, or I forget, was that in the postseason maybe? I remember it was, it was, it was right point. before. It was right actually during the whole COVID outbreak yeah. that it happened. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he extended Tanner Pearson. They made the OEL trade and inherited the final six years of his deal. They obviously traded for and extended Garland and Dickinson. They signed Tucker Pullman. And that's what really caught my eye about what was going on. It wasn't just financial commitments. They were significant ones for years down the road. Yeah. And, and you know, when you're talking about your, your um, 
change of plans over the years. Like for me, that was, it was, it was pretty wild to see that 180 when nothing had fundamentally changed with the actual team for them to just kind of flip it on its head and be like, all right, we're actually going to go in this opposite direction. It, it was essentially, let's throw money at our problems and see if it changes anything. Yeah. That's what it was, right? And, and I do think ownership got a bit tired of bailing out Jim for his mistakes with buyouts and stuff like that. And they were kind of tired of doing that. But then they allowed the buyout. And here's the thing. This management group, or I should say Jim Benning specifically, has spent almost as much time trying to get out of his own problems than he is trying to improve the team in a meaningful way year to year. Right. And that's you're right. I mean, the right they made a lot of the right moves, right? I do think in a creative way, the OEL trade, you got rid of some bad money, you made the deal. You know, we can talk about long term, but okay, perhaps you did something creative to get around it. But the problem here is you're putting yourself in a hole that you gotta dig yourself out of. And you have to come up with not imperfect solutions that are the best solutions in front of you. That are self-inflicted. Yeah, but but the thing, just because you're taking the best road because of your mistake doesn't mean that your process was right. Right. So we can talk about, yeah, you made the best of a bad situation, but your bad situation happened because of your planning and your poor execution of your plan. And I also think, and this is the big point here too, and it becomes an uncomfortable situation because Jim will never talk on it on record, but how much of an influence is the owner on all of this? Because if the owner has a lot of say in hockey decisions and player trades and in signings, and let's say that that voice carries a lot of weight, right. how much of this team is shaped in the vision of the owner? And if the owner is shaping the vision of the team, how can he blame somebody else if he's a big part of shaping that team? So I wonder how much of that is at play here as well, Dimitri. I mean, Jim is a, is a very easy scapegoat. Mm -hmm. It's a very easy mark. And all of yes. this. Um, and, you know, we were talking about that off air before we started recording. Like, I, part of me does feel bad because um, it's very easy, especially like they've not put him in a position to succeed at all, yeah. put, trotting him out to the media and having him mm -hmm. say all of these horrible quotes in terms of like, obviously people are going to make fun of it on Twitter, right? And by no means am I defending, am I, I think my thoughts are well documented yes. on the Jim Benning regime in Vancouver. But I think people just expecting someone to come in and fix this when like there's an overarching problem, mm -hmm. which you just hinted at or, or not even hinted just straight up yes. said um, is going to be a problem. And that's, that's kind of been the struggle of finding someone that's willing to come in. That's reputable. That's willing to put up with this the way Jim has, I think. And that's, it's a big issue with this organization. It, it absolutely is. And let's just look at the track record. Let's go back to when this ownership group came into place. Dave Nones was already the GM, who was part of the McCall ownership, Stan McCam, and they appointed him after Brian Burke. And, you know, it's well documented now that the deadline, um, I believe it was 06, 07, uh, the team was interested in Brad Richards. Dave Nones at the time did not feel comfortable mortgaging the future to make a deal for Brad Richards. And some of the parts in that deal would have included Corey Schneider and some other prospects, I mean, good players, and perhaps even Ryan Kessler's name was kind of thrown in yep. uh, in that rumor. That trade didn't happen. The Canucks ultimately missed the playoffs. Uh, Dave Nona said no a few times to the owner. And guess what happens? They lose. He's out. Right. Mike Gillis worked really well with ownership for many years. And when it got towards the end and Mike said, we got to rebuild this. We got to turn this around. And he said no to the owner's ideas and plans. It wasn't that long before he was out. Right. Trevor Linden, when he was kind of saying, I'm not sure about this anymore. And hey, you know, we were talking about this off air as well, that there has been a certain level of romanticism around Trevor Linden and what he was when he was a GM or the president of the team. And initially, he was very much like Jim, thinking they could turn this around in a hurry and very forceful in that. But I think at some point, you realize they can't do this. They have to take a patient approach. They have to take a step back here because 
their initial plans not happening. That was not the same idea Jim had. That's not the same vision Francesco had. And what happened to Trevor? So I think the track record is very, very clear. Guys who have not agreed or have been pushing back yep. don't end up staying here a long time. So put two and two together. Yeah. You know, you kind of see how where this is going. I mean, okay, so I want to keep spinning this conversation forward. The, the, the part of this um, entire sort of discourse that's happened over the past week to 10 days of this team falling apart mm -hmm. and all the coverage of it, and it really bugs me, is the framing by everyone. And this goes from certain parts of the media to the people within the organization themselves of just like how shocked they are yeah. that this has happened this season. How they're so caught off guard and just blindsided mm -hmm. as if this wasn't in the range of realistic outcomes. Now, I think they're playing at like a 60-point pace or something, right? Yeah. I think that would be a dreadful season for anyone. I think before the year, Vegas, in terms of their over-unders, Arizona and Buffalo were at the bottom. And even they were projected for like 65 points or something yeah. like that. Like 57, 58 points is unheard of yeah. for a projection, right? So obviously things have gotten out of hand and gotten much worse than anyone should have reasonably projected. Now mm -hmm. at the same time, pretty much every reputable model before the season said this team was like a mid-80s points team that was going to miss the best. playoffs. Yeah, yeah. hover around there, yes. right? And I just, I think that is, brings us to this fundamental issue of there just seems like there's a massive disconnect heading into the season for this team between their realistic outlook and the bloated expectations people had for them predicated on this idea that they had just totally crushed it this offseason, right? Anyone you talk to mm -hmm. was like, well, they basically turned a bunch of bad contracts into two players who are going to help them, which is true. Right. They did. Um, but no one really stopped to ask the question or, or consider, is this organization in a place to be doing this? Do they have the infrastructure in place? Do they have mm -hmm. the roster to justify pushing all their chips in like this? Like trading back-to-back -back first round picks is something that Tampa Bay does when <laughs> they've, they've had a yeah. 128 point season and feel like they need to get over the hump to win a Stanley Cup. A team that is on a playoff bubble does not typically do that. And that was my big issue with it. There was no yeah. question that they improved in terms of the on paper this offseason, right? But people are so stuck up on this idea of, or stuck on this idea of, well, they got better, so it was a smart trade. But there's such an opportunity cost in a salary cap world where giving away firsts and basically punting the idea of future financial flexibility the way they did yeah. is like unconscionable for a team that was in the position they were at. And that just, that, that bugs me so much. No, I, I totally understand. But, but I think the reason they ended up doing that to a large degree is because their plan failed again. Yeah. Right, Dimitri? Because when you build towards a rebuild, you're building towards uh, something over a, say, five or six year or 10 year, you're getting pieces in place. So first, uh, Brock Brescia comes in and, you know, he has that rookie season in 2017, right? Or 20, 2017. Then Elias Pettersson comes out in 2018. It crushes it, has a great season. And Quinn Hughes comes in, right? You have Bo Horvat there already and some of the other guys that you're building around. And when you've already spent your capital being bad, for five or six years, yep. and these guys have been part of your team, and then you take a step forward like they did in the bubble year, right? Or somewhat of a step forward. Yep. The players feel, okay, we're, we're trying to move forward. We're trying to move forward. We're trying to uh, become a team that can be a contender one day. And in today's NHL, this is something that you know a lot of guys talk about, like Friedman. You're also trying to sell your young core on this being a contender, this being a place you want to stay, and you can be here long term. And I think their failure to be good wore on the players so much and especially kind of hit a breaking point last year with them cutting the taps off, having so many problems, 
they were understaffed in a big way. Players felt the communication wasn't good. A lot of things happened that players weren't happy about. And there was a, a crisis of confidence, I think, with a lot of players with the organization. So the organization backed itself into a corner where they felt they had to do something ambitious to sell the players on, hey, we're trying here, guys. Like, Pedersen, don't ask out. Hughes, don't ask out. You right. know, Brock, we, we want to make this. Bo, you're our captain. We want to sign you after this contract. I think there was a lot of pushback and from agents as well saying, what are you guys doing? You guys, like, we don't, like Bo, I think, at one point, and I don't think he made this very clear, but I think with conversations uh, with his side and with the team, that it was communicated that you guys better clean up your act. Because if you don't right. clean up your act, I'm not sure this is going to work here long term. I mean, when I was a little kid, my parents taught me some hard lessons about not taking shortcuts in life yes. and not half-assing stuff. Exactly. And, and it seems like that's applicable. I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like the fundamental issue was... Like, does this organization have aspirations of actually winning a Stanley Cup or are they trying to make the playoffs? And I think those are two very distinct, like, obviously you have yeah. to make the playoffs to win the Stanley Cup. And we've seen, as I'm sure any Canucks fan will tell you, oh, look at the St. Louis Blues a couple of years yeah. ago. Look at the Habs last year. Like, anyone that makes it can go on this magical run. The Canucks came within a, a goal yeah. or two of making the conference finals in the mm. bubbles. But at the end of the day, for me, that is such a short-sighted way of building a successful, sustainable NHL team. Like you, your aspirations need to be higher than that. And it seems like that is kind of one of the pitfalls here. I do, I do wonder about that, but I also think, and this is perhaps even more problematic that they can't discern between the difference of building a contender and just getting into the postseason and what that means and what a meaningful step forward each year is. I wonder if they just view it as, Hey, we just think we get in, these guys get more experience who knows if he had a good goalie. I do think that part of them actually believes that all they need to do is get into the postseason, gain experience year by year. They'll eventually get better, which really is just a hope as a plan because you're not really planning a, you know, a two, three year outlook with certain things put in. You're looking at a year to year. Let's get into the postseason. Let's see what happens. Right. So I agree. It's not a cohesive long-term plan to be a cup contender, but I just don't know if from the ownership's perspective, they can discern that difference. And to me, that's problematic. It it certainly is, and and like I I really don't throw this around lightly, but there's a lot of intelligent fans in this market, as we've seen. They're pretty fed up. Yes, and they've been so badly like I guess gaslighting is the right <laughs> like they've been gaslit right by by media too, by national media and maybe not so much as local media. Yeah, and, like, and national media now is pushing back. I'm seeing a lot of people saying calling for Jim's <laughs> Jim's firing well, now. Yeah, yeah, like convenient <laughs> timing. But I heard a lot of this off season. Well, you have to give this organization credit. They they made some moves this off season. They're trying, and it's like that under absolutely no circumstances do you have to give them credit. And I think fans in this market have basically been given a plate of poop mm. and been told to enjoy their five course meal, right? It's like, <sighs> there's, it's, it's just so transparent to me that um, the messaging is, is I think a big issue here where I think a lot, like there's a big segment of the fan base and a lot of people that were just for whatever reason led to believe that this team was gonna be good. And I think that's why there's so much frustration right now. Like no one is su suggesting that the Canucks should have three regulation wins in, 17 games or whatever they right. played. But if you came into the season with the expectations of this is going to be a 85 point team, that's going to struggle to make the playoffs. I don't think you're being as upset with this current product. Now in year eight of this, 
I think you would probably be upset regardless. Yeah. But I think the optics and kind of the messaging and sort of the spin job that's been going on locally is a big reason why people are upset. Well, I do think it's expectations, but I also think that they should be judged on higher expectations this year. Right. Because if your goal has been to build towards something in the future and you keep talking about playoffs, you've made the playoffs twice in seven years before this season, then I think the standard should have been the postseason. And I think there should be anger and frustration. The fact they're not a playoff team. Now, uh, a say comprehensive evaluation of this team would probably lead you to believe they're at best a bubble team, right? And I think what Vegas had them, I think some lines had them at 88 points, some right. had them at like 90 points. Well, they were a pretty trendy team in the offseason. Yeah, right? they were because yeah. of the moves they made. That's yeah. usually what happens, right? right. They're the sexy team that yeah. had an aggressive offseason. Right. So I, I do think that's part of it, but I, but I do believe they should be judged on higher expectations. And I don't think the anger is necessarily a bad thing now because I do think it is time for accountability. And when you do sell fans on it's going to get better, or you sell fans on we're going to be good, this is going to be a better year, it's going to, trust us, trust the process, we're yeah. drafting and developing, we're trusting the problem, we're going to be good, we're going to be good. You can't keep selling that and under-deliver. Yeah. And I think now it is justified to be this angry. Francesco Aquilini said this year is going to be different. He promised season ticket holders in a letter saying it's it's the darkest before the dawn. That was, a, your that was hilarious. That's a, right? <laughs> but, but you use those phrases, Dimitri. You're telling your fans it's getting better this year. Right. Right? And, and fans who've gone through a tough time, when it's not getting better, they are angry. Now, did they buy into it too much? Perhaps. But the reality is... Most sports fans are emotional, passionate creatures, right? They get into this because... Well, and they preyed on that. Exactly, yeah. right? So I do think as much as, yeah, uh, maybe the expectations were too high on them, I don't think they deserve to have lower expectations this year. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme? Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work, Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses 
down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Well, I think something I keep going back to, it's hilarious to consider, like the players that they got for those all-in moves where they gave up first, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Arguably been like their best skaters this season. Like I think Nils Hoglander's oh, been, yeah. been the player I've been most impressed by on a right. tonight basis. But Garland leads the team in five on five yeah. points. Miller's right behind him and leads the team in overall goals and points. Yeah. All of Berkman Larson's a net positive in like every underlying five on five metric and has yeah. looked significantly better than mm-hmm. I or anyone anticipated him to be. And yet they're still here. And I understand like there's two ways to look at that. One is, well, those are good trades because those are their best players. Yeah. But for me, it's like all right, it just goes to show how insane that you're making those moves when those players are actually performing to like the best you could have hoped for from them. And this is still what you have. Like that's how far away you were from justifying those moves. Well, you know, the thing is those guys are supposed to put you over the top. Yeah. And they're not even moving the meter for you right now. Yeah. And that is very troubling. Now, I do think there's clearly there's underperforming going on from some of their top players. That's yes. absolutely happening, especially Elias Pettersson, right? right? I mean, it's, it's absolutely true that their best players are, are, are underperforming right now. The question is what what is leading to that underperformance, right? And I think that's when we start getting to, is it coaching potentially? This is why you're a broadcasting professional. <laughs> this was next on my list of stuff to talk about. Right, good. good. But it's either coaching or has the environment, has the well, so to speak, been poisoned? And do you get to a point as an organization where their belief is just gone? So is this happening, the lack of success happening because the mix is bad from the team you put together, which is one possibility? Is the possibility that there is just no faith and trust in the organization because the alignment hasn't been good enough and people see through that and they're just like, oh, here we go again when things go wrong? Or is the coach not optimizing what's going on? The easy answer is a bit of everything because I do think that's at play to some degree. But in what work environment are you building a good situation? Are you building a, an environment for growth and development when you're yo-yoing back and forth all right. the time? When one year you feel like you're ambitious, the other year you feel like you're not. And when those things happen, I wonder if that kind of has some of the players reeling, especially the guys who have been here and seen that the last few years. Because the guys struggling the most are guys who have been here now. Year four for Pedersen. Yep. Year five for Brock Besser. Year seven for Bohorvat. Those are the guys probably scuffling the most, and they're the guys who have been here the longest. Well, I think two things can be true, right? This roster shouldn't be this bad. It's no. like it's not a bottom five team as no. much as you can object with it. I yes. think it's flawed and poorly constructed. And they should be getting more out of what they have. And we're going to talk about coaching in a second. And it can also not be as good as you probably positioned it to be and thought it was going to be, right? Like yeah. both those things can be true at the same time. There's nuance. There's yeah. gray area. There's, it, we don't need to be hot takey about any of yeah. it. So blame is predictably getting shifted now towards coaching. Uh, and I wanted to work through that because I certainly, I'm not going to sit here and argue that Travis Green and his staff have done this remarkable job. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when your special teams are that poor, that that feels like one area where maybe not even the head coach, but like, it feels like that's like your coaching staff should be able to at least yeah. make some sort of adjustments along the way sure. for 15 games, 20 games in, you're not continuing to scuffle to that degree. Um, at the same time though, like the reason why I do push back to this idea that, all right, well, let's just fire Travis Green and, and, and salvage the season I think it's like kind of dangerous to just insinuate that he or any coach is directly at fault for this product and that as soon as you place someone else behind the bench, you're going to snap the fingers and it's going to get better. Like, cause I, I really don't believe that's the case. Like maybe if you put Barry Trotz <laughs> behind this right. team, maybe they become great defensively and you could get something, but like 
I don't, I don't see it. Yeah, I'm not sure, right? Because like, so what changes if you bring a new coach in? Now, perhaps special teams get, get gets a bit better, right? But I don't think in this market, as much as there are a lot of fans calling for it, the if the accountability starts with Travis Green, it just seems like the wrong guy to be taking the fall for everything that's happened. Right. Because he's not being given the best thing to work with. Now, you are right, though, as far as special teams go. Because the PK, I don't like the personnel. And I, and I do think there are two conversations here, right? Because... You're, multiple things can be true at the same time. The power play, they have enough offensive players and weapons that it shouldn't be this bad. I'm stunned that it's been this bad. Right. It should yeah. be good. Right. You have enough, like, the degree of difficulty to get this power play to be good for the coaches is not that hard on the power play. It is a lot harder on the PK with the personnel they have. Right. So to get the most out of the PK, it's a very difficult thing. And I would put the blame on the PK squarely on roster construction. Right. When you don't have a single right-handed centerman, you don't have a single left-handed defenseman outside of Oliver ekman Larson that can kill penalties for you. Right. You don't have guys that can pressure and, and, and that are good penalty killers. It's hard for the coaching staff to get the most out of it. But I do think they deserve a lot of blame on the, on the power play because you got to find some answers on that. On the PK, it's not. So if, if the roster construction is getting in the way, and if the mix is that bad that they can't really work together, you can't place it on the coach. The question is, how do you salvage the season? When the expectation from the owner is, Dimitri, to make the postseason. When there is real pressure to try to sell more tickets this year. Well, I saw that I saw that quote that there's still like what else are you gonna say, obviously, at this point? Yeah. Um there are nine points, I believe, out of or maybe actually maybe even more now because the Flames won tonight. Yeah. They're like double digit points out of a top three Pacific seed. Uh the Pacific is much better than we had any reason to anticipate, yeah. right? Like we thought it would be top heavy with Edmonton and Vegas. Mm -hmm. Calgary looks very good. Uh, Anaheim and LA certainly look much feistier and readier to compete than we envisioned them being. So I, I think it's very dangerous to make any move under the illusion that you're going to salvage this season. Like I think at this point you need to be as difficult it is, as it is to, to stomach for them, I'm sure. Like you have to be thinking, what can we do to stop dragging our feet here and prevent like irreparable okay. long-term damage. Mm -hmm. I think I think that has to be the directive. So I do think that none of us really know what's going to happen next because I don't think ownership knows what's going to happen well, next. Well, that's a problem. Right? And that is, but, but I do think that perhaps finally there are now real considerations about what do we do here next? And I think it was interesting because... Uh, Mike Ford was linked to uh, yep. Francesco Aquilini a few days ago by numerous uh, reporters and, and insiders. And uh, it was really interesting because he was on the 32 Thoughts podcast just right. around the same time. And he had some really interesting thoughts uh, on that conversation. And one of the things he said when he's advising owners, and I think it's very clear that Canucks in some capacity have reached out to him, hmm. that he says, you got to give yourself some time. Right. Don't rush into a decision because it takes a couple of weeks for you to be able to make a hire anyways. Buy yourself as much time as possible, figure out what's going on, and let's craft the plan moving forward. So I think as much as organization was shocked, once they started digging into things, and I do think perhaps there was a consideration to, to do something and perhaps give the fans a, flesh, a pound of flesh, and I think that was considered. But I do think ultimately they realized that we have to come up with a plan. Right. Now, we can also talk about the fact that they didn't have a plan in case this year went sideways, which goes back to hope being their plan and them just hoping right. and thinking they're just going to be fine, that things are just going to be fine this year. And they thought that, okay, we buy ourselves two years with Travis and Jim, and eventually we'll be able to get better and the scenes might take over. Yep. That's a very hopeful plan for a regime that hasn't been able to deliver on any promises over 70 years, yep. right? So they probably should have had a contingency in place. They didn't. 
But if you don't have a contingency in place and you're stuck in a situation, you don't know who to hire next, you got to craft a plan. So I do think what's happening right now is also the organization trying to craft a plan of what do we do if we have to move on these guys? And how, what does that look like? And I don't think any of us know the answers yet, but what you just mentioned, I think is going to be the biggest hurdle. How do you convince the owner that maybe the best thing you can do is be patient, take a bit of a step back and try to rebuild it moving forward again? And I'm not sure they're there yet, but that's probably going to be the biggest hurdle ownership is going to have to overcome if they're going to try to do, quote unquote, the right thing moving forward. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, you know, one final thing on Travis Green here, I guess, like watching these games, I I think it's easy to blame coaching because it's a lot difficult to say the players aren't performing well enough. It's a lot easier yeah. to just fire a coach and hire someone you or promote an assistant as opposed mm-hmm. to getting rid of players. Um, I I don't know. I, without like becoming like an armchair psychologist here, I really don't think it's a matter of Travis Green having lost this team or them checking out like what the most recent game against the abs like they they tried they competed pretty hard in that game i think right a couple of costly Mm -hmm. uh mistakes and like compounding errors led to a couple quick goals and they lost that happened in vegas as well where i thought they came out well they played hard then the penalty kill kind of took over unfortunately yeah and they made some mistakes and then it kind of snowballed right and you can talk about adjustments and, and whatnot, but I really don't think it's as simple as, oh, like you need a different voice in that room, which I think people often kind of resort to as, as an easy excuse for this. I think where criticism is genuinely warranted is while I didn't think this would be a good team heading into the season, one thing I did think was they, they'd be highly entertaining to watch. Yes. I thought they, up front, the yeah. forward group looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about Pedersen here in a second, obviously, in depth, but... I thought they'd score a lot of goals. Yeah. They'd be fun. And while the defense was always going to be a problem, at least they'd get into some of these high-scoring track meets and they'd score a bunch. And, and that just couldn't be further from the truth. They're 25th in 5 of 5 expected goal rate, 24th in high-danger chance generation rate. They're 27th in 5 on 5 goal-scoring rate. And the big stat for me here is in 2019-20, they were first in terms of the pace they played at a 5 on 5 which was just com- like – combining mm-hmm. shot attempts for and against yeah. just kind of a signal of like how fast the, the puck is yeah. basically going from one end to the other. They're down to like 22nd this year, like alongside like Dallas and Montreal. And when you look at the roster, like it just makes no sense to me that this team is going to be, should be playing at that slow of a pace. And I'm not sure how much of that is by design, how much of that is just an unfortunate accident, how much of it is them just not having the puck or not being good or whatever. But like if I was stepping into this room, I'm no coach by any means, but I would be like, we need to figure out a way mm-hmm. how to crank the dial here on, on playing faster because this is like, we just can't get away playing this way. So this is my biggest question with Travis and the coaching staff in general. Are they trying to be a team they're not capable of being? Right. And I think that's a fair question to ask. Now, how much of that is coaching direction or like you mentioned, a lack of execution, the player mix being wrong or whatever it is? Because I see the same thing. Now it's funny because uh, we have access to the puck tracking data now. <laughs> and the Canucks have been one of the best teams. I think the best team, or the team with the most actual time with the puck on their sticks. Yeah, because they've been cycling really exactly, well. Exactly, yeah. right? And they're cycling really well or they're just holding on to the puck a right. long time. But they're not doing anything with it. Yeah. Right? So that slows their pace down. So I think with... What they're trying to become is this like hard team to play against that dominates puck possession, holds onto it and makes plays and, you know, is very patient with it. But they're not built to do that, 
right? They're a team that has to be a bit quicker in transition. They got to create chances. It almost has to be a track meet, like you mentioned, because I don't think this team can play good enough defensively to be able to limit chances at games. And I know they talk about their five-on-five game, Dimitri, and how they've been good defensively. I don't think they've been as good as they make it out to be. I really don't think so. So if you're not even getting the defensive side of things, which you're talking about, and I hear Travis talk about the type of team they have to be, and he keeps saying, the only way we can be good is if we're on our toes and play a complete game. I'm not sure that's true, though. You know what I mean? Now, how much of that is also how you built your team, how you think the team is constructed, and how, say, the GM wants a team to play versus what the coach wants. But I don't see a team with the personnel to play the way these guys want to play. They talk about meat and potatoes. Jim does, right? He talks about being a hard team to play against. They talk about being a team that plays the right way in the postseason. In the playoffs, yeah, they get outshot, but... As far as playing the right way from coaching terms, yeah, they defended well. Right. They kept the sticks in the right lane. They boxed out. <laughs> right. Things like that, right? Like winning battles in the corners, creating some chances. But they're not a team that's built to be able to play this grind-you-down game. And I, think they're comp- and I think they're trying to do that to some degree, and they're just not capable. No, oh, I mean, there's a, been a clear shift in the dynamic. Like, I think back to, um, especially pre-pandemic, like before the, the season shut down, in that 2019-20 regular season, like, you know they were certainly an imperfect team. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but they were they were playing this beautiful sort of chaotic high event equal opportunity style where yeah. they were benefiting off of the randomness and kind of mayhem of a puck bouncing around and like all of a sudden you know they get outplayed for a bit but all of a sudden the puck would bounce this way and then they'd get a chance yeah. and, and they had talent to convert on that right and like for better or for worse I just feel like that type of up tempo style where you live with the negatives on certain nights but you embrace that variance uh, is something they have to go. And, and, and that's what brings me to the coaching. Cause I totally understand from an NHL coach's perspective, that's not a particularly palatable approach where you kind of like, there's going to be certain nights where you wind up and a lot of these coaches take great pride yes. in, in, in defense and then breaking down the tape the day, the day after yeah. and, and being like, Oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. Uh, I know Travis, like, I don't know him personally, but I, I I know from stories of him and from people that have spoken to him, like he certainly takes pride in that. And yeah. I imagine there is a certain element of, um, you know, self-preservation or kind of trying to avoid embarrassment, especially when you look at the personnel mm. you have on this blue line to try and play a certain way. And they're just not built to do that, right? No. Like they've tried to paper over these flaws that they perceive in their roster. And it's kind of, it's accomplishing the opposite effect in like an ironic way, right? Yeah. Like they're trying to do something and instead it's pushing them even further away from that, I believe they're bottom two in rush chances for oh, and against. Not creating anything. And and you know that Avs game recently, like uh, the other night, um, I think it was the top line was out, and they had this or in, the, or in the first period they had this long shift. They're cycling, right? They mm-hmm. they got a couple shot attempts. They looked dangerous, and literally within two seconds, the Avs had a three on two the other way, where they wound up with a shot right directly from the slot. It wound up getting you know blocked or saved, and, and didn't wind up resulting in a goal. But that was like if you need one short clip to take from like describing this Canucks team, it's that. Yeah. Like they spent 45 seconds doing nothing. And then in two seconds, the other team had like 10 times the expected goals. It takes so much work for them to do the simplest thing, right? It it takes so much effort to try to gain the zone, right? Try to get out of your own zone, try to defend or do whatever it is, try to create a chance. And it just goes back the other way. And I do wonder too, right? Sometimes when when you're close to something, you spend so much time trying to fix the things you're not good at, that you almost lose sight of what you are good at. And I wonder if the organization to some degree kind of did that this offseason, whether it's from 
Jim and Travis, because Travis as a coach, because here's the thing, you're right, coaches are all about evolution. How do I mature my team? How does my team get better? How does my team become a, a really good all-around hockey team? The thing is you got to know when to push for that and when you have that and yep. when to accept your team for what it is. And I do think that's a big question here. Did you build a team in the proper vision? Do you have a real grasp of what you truly have? And is that all on Travis? I do think, you know, obviously the coach has to find some answers, right? Like, you know, in a situation like this, you got to find, to put your team, what do we say? You, you shouldn't coach the system you want. You should coach the system Around that curtails yeah. the team you have. Right. And I do think it's a legitimate question right now. But I do also believe that from an organizational directive and from a team building directive, they want to build to be a certain way. And they haven't built a team to be that certain way. So if they're asking Travis to have this team that's better defensively, and that's why they hired Bradshaw, and I think last year a lot of the conversations after the season was, we got to be better defensively, guys. What, like, what is this mess? Like, we're, we're, we're so permissive. Yeah. We're one of the worst teams in league defensively. This can't happen next year. we got to be better defensively. That was a big, big part of their offseason, to bring Bradshaw in to have the type of effect. So... We can blame Travis for not getting the best out of the team, but also is this kind of what the team that Jim wanted, that the owner wanted, that they pushed for, that they're trying to push for? And I do think at some point here, they have to realize that they got to go the other way with this. Yeah, no, I mean, and like, okay, let's talk about Pedersen now because I think certainly like it, it hasn't helped matters that the best players in this team haven't been nearly good enough. And I do wonder if they were scoring up to their capabilities, I, I I don't think that would necessarily solve everything for this team. Yeah. But it certainly wouldn't look as bleak as it has so far. And they would, at least on a certain occasion, be able to bail them out of a lot of these problems, mm -hmm. right? And this all ties ties together. Like, I, I think the blue line, it was so poorly just constructed considering that they're spending, I believe, like the sixth most cap dollars on it mm -hmm. in the entire league. Um, and, and they aren't able to sort of sustain, like, when you have a team that's 30th or 31st and a rush chance is four, like, of course, your forwards are going to look bad. Like, yeah. that's how you create your easiest yeah. offense. If you have to grind out every single offense's own shift for a minute and 20 seconds before getting a good look, like, that's not a sustainable way to build an offense in 2021. At no. the same time, like, Pedersen's continued struggles are the elephant in the room. And I, 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 I don't know, like, you talk about, you obviously have to talk about this all the time and after every game, but, like, how to even broach this subject? Because on the one hand, I think he's... An clearly immensely talented player who just yeah. turned 23 years old and I think the world of him as a talent on the other hand it's been a while since we've seen that yeah and there was a big injury in there yeah and his shot rates and his shot attempts shots on goal high danger chances are all down and that tells me that it's a player that might not be very comfortable shooting the puck fully yet mm -hmm. especially for someone who relies on their shot to be such a weapon um but yeah like without him firing on all cylinders quite literally like they they they're they're coming to a gunfight with a butter knife, basically, yeah. right? Like it's just they don't stand a chance. And so, I, you don't want to. I don't want to be the 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 boomer here that's putting <laughs> it on Pedersen's plate because I it's certainly far from that. Right. But like it's impossible to have this conversation about this team struggles without at least discussing what's going on. Well, you have to. I mean, you know, especially from the analytic models, he's been one of the best players in the league, especially his first couple, especially his second year. Right. Like as far as, you know, uh, wins above expected, goals above, you know, expected, and just overall value to his team, yep. drawing penalties. He's been one of the most valuable players in the league. Right now, he's, <laughs> it's not even close. No. You know, like, you can even make the case that he's below water with how he's playing in a lot of different ways, right? S Sat, he's got not only zero five on five goals this season, but correct me if I'm wrong here. He has the same number of 5-on-5 points as Matthew Highmore. Yes. He has fewer 5-on-5 primary points than Luke Shen. Yes. Who's played five games. Yes. 
it's really bad. Like, it's really bad. That's not good. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, he's literally playing like a replacement level player below, but below replacement level. You know, and, and and that's not the level you expect from your superstar. Like, I think he's a better player than this. He's going to be better than this. Yes. I think he's going to find and figure it out, and he's going to be a immensely impactful player. But is there an easy answer here? And I hate saying it, but I remember talking to some former players. Yannick Hansen brought this point up. He just said he hasn't played enough games the last two years. He said, you know, uh, he, he had a tough start the other year, but then after that, he figured it out. Then he has a bad wrist injury, hasn't had a long-term injury in his career. He misses seven months, doesn't play a game comes back and plays, and he's just not up to speed yet. I think that's an easy answer. I don't know if it's fully true, though. I think there's more at play here. And I do think, too, to some degree, going back to the conversation about how this team is playing, I wonder if he is stimulated. I wonder how much of looking at this team and how they're playing and what they're doing has him going like, ugh, really? And one thing I do wonder about is, I keep saying I wonder, I don't know why, but... Uh, no, one, you're one, a thoughtful yeah. guy, you're just wondering about <laughs> stuff. I always wonder about stuff. But, but I do think... I'm not sure he wants to be the player they want him to be right now. Right. Well, and, that's... Yeah, that goes out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, And I don't mean as in like, you know, be the superstar player, as far as playing the way they want to play as a team and yeah. his role in doing that. And we talked about his maturity as a really good two-way player, but I still think he wants something else. I... And I'm not going to speak for him, and this is just my opinion on it. I wouldn't be surprised if part of the frustration, in addition to his risk maybe not being 100%, in addition to him being a bit rusty and confidence waning and all that sort of stuff, is that he's not loving how they're trying to be and perhaps what they want him to be as a player within the system. Yeah. Well, like I went back and watched all of his 515 shifts on, on Instad's database, and, and it was certainly better in the most recent game. Like the four check was kind of yeah. back to what we expect from it. And they were creating opportunities off of it. But mm -hmm. some of these offenses own shifts, like it's the, the level of inactivity is, is, is wild to me. Right. Like not like I just at his best a year and a half ago, like he was involved in everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and he was all over the place and he was creating all sorts of stuff. Not that he's like the fastest skater by any means, but he like the, 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 the deception in his game and his ability to get into those dangerous areas. And it just, it's not there anymore. Like he's not shooting from the slot. He's not, mm -hmm. he's, it's, it's a totally different statistical profile and a totally different eye test. Like it's just a different player. It looks like someone replaced Elias Pedersen with a guy who looks like him, but is yeah. the same player. It, it, it's so jarring to watch. And you're right though. The other night it was a bit better. And, and I do think his teammates didn't do him favors the other night too. Cause he was screaming through neutral zone with speed and he just wasn't getting the puck. Yep. And if he gets the puck on a few of those opportunities, you see transition chances, you'd see a few rushes and we probably have a different conversation about Pedersen today, right. potentially about, okay, where his game is trending. So maybe it is a bit closer, but you're right. That movement in his game, you know, I, I kind of likened him when I first saw him to Neo in the matrix, because when he was on the ice, he was involved with everything, just like you mentioned, right? right? Like those types of guys and LeBron's like that in basketball that he plays one position, but he's so finely in tune with everybody else. Yep. And he knows exactly what to do and where to go that it was just this beautiful motion to his game. And Pedersen had a lot of those qualities to his game as well. So going back to the system and how you're playing and what you're trying to accomplish, if he's being asked to be more specific in his duties and to perhaps not do certain things as much as he did in the past, is that going against his nature and instincts as a player, too, to some degree? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's got to be, right? Like, yeah. the talent just didn't disappear. No, it He's didn't. He's 23. Like, and I we saw the peak of that talent, Dimitri, in the postseason against even Vegas and, and the Blues. Right. He was 
unbelievable. Yeah, and you saw Play the shot. Hockey. Like the shot making was like he was just yeah he was picking spots on the mm-hmm. net and just labeling the puck there, and it was just like yeah. beating goalies cleanly, which very few players can do. Yeah, and you know when they signed him to that, it was three by seven, three five, I mm-hmm. believe. Like you're thinking that's a steal because all right, he's clearly under the assumption that he's not not only going to get back to the player that he was, but at this age, you expect he's going to even take strides. That's a steal for the next three years and all. We can use those cap savings that he should be making so much more. We can use that to improve this team elsewhere. But instead now, like, it's 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 a matter of, I think, you know, we're talking about objectives for the rest of this season. Like, you got to you gotta get him back on track um, to a degree where you can, like, feel confident that, that he's going to be that player. Mm-hmm. I understand, like, without knowing the, the the health reports or what percent his wrist is actually at or what's going on there. Like he's on the ice. I assume that he's good to go. Um, you need to figure out ways to make it easier for him. And I, I do believe like you're right. Getting him the puck on the move. Yes. With requires having players that can pass the puck cleanly from yes. tape to tape. And the Canucks have very few of those, unfortunately. Right. And it's a problem. It is a problem too. Right. And, you know, it's funny because at times, though, like I remember a couple times last night, it was Brock Besser not giving him the puck, right? right? And there was this kind of paralysis at times with them when they're making plays. And it's funny because last year we saw so many bad turnovers, so many ambitious plays they tried were just so stupid that got picked off and they happened the other way. They're so risk averse this year, right? Right. And JT, however, will throw some blind passes. You know, he'll do his thing. He still has that audacity to his game. Right. But but that kind of uh, you know I'll use a soccer term the courage in their games to to try to do stuff it's kind of gone away you know and how do you rekindle that right and how does that kind of come back and I, and how does a coach get through to them to change it do you need to change something here is it on you is it a greater issue than it but the reality is form his form is temporary. That class shouldn't go anywhere, right? That class is still there in him. You got to find a way to do that. I mean, your biggest challenge as an organization, I think right now, is to get Pedersen right. right. How do you get him right? And do you have to get to the point where you just sit down and say, okay, what do you need? Right. No, what do you need? What do you need from the team? What do you need from the coach? We, we need to figure this out. Because if you don't figure out Pedersen and if you don't make it work, it's all done. It's all over. None of this matters in the next four or five years. No. And yeah. I just I I miss, I miss watching Elias Pettersson from two years ago yes. on the ice in the offensive zone, just doing what he used to do. Especially like hockey nerds, because the stuff he does, right? Oh, it's brilliant. It, 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 his his understanding of the game, his understanding, his spatial awareness, mm-hmm. right? And just so those sort of things. It, it's beautiful hockey when is when he's at his best. And I think players like him that are kind of artistic, they can also be a bit a bit enigmatic, right? And the environment around those players does matter a lot. And what is the environment like? And, and players like that, that are also kind of emotional, right? And can be a little sensitive and stuff like that, a little prickly and all those sort of things. You got to have the proper ecosystem around them too. Yeah. We, you were at the game on Wednesday, right? Yes. Um, so, okay. So I'm, I'm curious. Let's spin this forward. Let's, let's end the conversation here because uh, I'm not going to ask you what you do next because uh, it's so tenuous at this point. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's a yeah. fool's errand, but you know, we're recording this on Thursday. They just lost to the Avs on Wednesday. Mm. They have two more home games here over the weekend on Friday against the Jets on Sunday versus the Blackhawks, both at home. I think on Wednesday night, we heard some brief uh, interludes from fans voicing their displeasure with yeah. the team. Uh, there were certainly some signs that were confiscated quickly by by security. <laughs> yeah. um, 
which kind of stinks. I, I thought they were pretty creative and, and, and it is what it is, but, um, it, it's so wild to me, this notion that you would see what's going on here, see what's happened the past seven or eight years and say, all right, the next couple games are going to determine the fate of this franchise. Like that, it just so so. Like I wouldn't run a coffee shop like that. No, no. Let alone a professional sports organization. <laughs> like it, it's it's it's. You know, let's see what the sales are like over the next seven days before we decide whether yeah. we're going to take something off the menu or not. Um, but it does feel like like they're kind of at this crossroads, right? And, and something, if the wheels already are in motion, as you mentioned, with with, with the headhunter and kind of trying to figure out what's going on there. Um, you know, the the objectives for what you're going to do the rest of the season, I've already said that I, I think trying to salvage this season is, is dumb because I just think you can get yourself into even more trouble, especially if you're trying to, you know, improve the team drastically by moving more picks, which I, I don't think is on the table. I, I certainly what think that would be insane. Well, yeah, they're already down their second this year, which is remarkable. Um, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. Like, what? how do we end this? Con- what do we, how do we put a bow on this? Like, what, what do we look for? moving forward here in the immediate future what what do these next home games look like what needs to happen like what what do you envision happening like take it any way you want well i i think it's it's interesting because edmonton's uh sorry the jets are coming in playing their three, third game in four nights they're playing uh, the night before they're playing on friday against the vancouver canucks yep. and the backup's going in comrie but comrie's been playing well recently so that's maybe not easy and the canucks have well they've laid eggs against teams coming in on three games or four nights before but it could be quote unquote a scheduled win right you win that game it takes a pressure and, and this is how absurd this is i think a big part of this is they want to hope that they win a couple of games in this homestand so they can take a bit of a break and they can take their foot off the gas so they don't get forced into making a decision. Ultimately, I believe that they're viewing the next seven, eight games as an organization as being critical. And if you look at it as getting to the 25-game mark, that makes some sense. If you're trying to evaluate your team, you usually say every team does this. You get to the American Thanksgiving 2025 game mark, you evaluate the process and what's going on. And, and, I, and I believe that their ultimate goal had been to get to that mark the question is, does something force your hand before that? Because this organization has shown that if the fans force the issue, they will acquiesce. We saw it with uh, Mike Gillis when they chanted for his head. A bit of a different situation. But the, the thing here, though, is they have 33 home games remaining. you got to sell tickets for 33 home games for an organization that felt the sting of not having fans in a building this past season, that felt the sting of finally making the postseason and not being able to have any gate revenue from the postseason. Selling tickets for the rest of this year, bottom line, really matters, Dimitri. Right. So if you get to a point where the Jets game and the Blackhawks game are embarrassing and you lose in a bad way and fans are chanting and booing and you see ticket sales dwindle and the, and the, the resale market, tickets get cheaper and cheaper, that probably creates some angst about your bottom line for the rest of the year. And that, as we know, for this ownership group is going to be a big, big mark. Because no matter what, the past six or seven years, they've done pretty well at the gate no matter what definitely a team that has the stanley cup on its mind and not and, and not yeah. ulterior <laughs> motives wow what a what a time to be alive a stat this was this was a blast i'm glad i'm glad we got to do this obviously you wish it was under better circumstances but it's always fun to talk with you um plug some stuff where can people check you out what are you up to these days because you're you're working like a madman you're you're talking about the canucks not even 24 7 20 25 7 you're, you're working an extra hour all day every day nowadays yeah. it seems but but i appreciate that yeah i'm a sports on 650 monday to friday three to seven on the people's show also host intermissions pre-game and post-game for connects games on radio on sports on 650 and you oftentimes see me during the intermission on the panels uh for the tv broadcast with dan murphy 
for regional games as well. So that's usually what I'm up to. You can check me out on Twitter at Satyar Shaw, at Satyar Shaw on Instagram. But that's pretty much it. I think you're the first podcast guest that's plugged their Instagram. I, I like had to throw, you know what? I'm trying to get my up my Instagram. I suck at Instagram. My girlfriend does the stuff for me. She helps me out. Like I'm so bad at it. But she's always like, you gotta get your Instagram up. That's that's the future. That's yeah. the new wave. Like, it is. Right. I only have like a thousand followers. My Instagram game is pathetic. And yeah, I post like too. a lot of dog pictures too. I feel like people should be all I over I love that. your dog pictures. Oh, people should be all over that. But yeah, apparently they want all my stats and, and hockey videos. So it is what it is. I don't, I don't take it personally. Your brand is strong. That's yeah. what it is. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, if people, uh, let, me, let me plug some stuff. If people enjoy the show, they can uh, rate and review it. Uh, I'm posting a uh, watchability rankings on this feed here very shortly. The Canucks are very low on that list this season you don't uh, say. surprisingly <laughs> um and yeah we'll be back soon but sad this was a blast man i'm glad we uh we got to get together and uh hopefully we'll get you back on sometime soon here hey love it uh, love to do it again hopefully under better circumstances next time the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast